We have some handouts. Christopher and Wolfie, if you can help him. Um, it should be enough for everybody to have one. <clears throat> There's nothing new under the sun, and considering that the earth is about 6,000 years old and the Bible is about 2,000 years old, I'm a little late to the game to come up with my own original material. And so this uh, handout that I'm giving you, is a lot of it's been developed by uh, put together by my father-in-law, obviously it's from scripture, and then also from the study that we've been doing on fear of man. My goal this morning <clears throat> is really to be very practical. So we're going to go through some things, uh, some notes that I have, and we're going to go get in scripture. But then uh, the desire is uh, let you guys fill that out and walk through some things to really flesh out. Um, if we are struggling, closing up what we've been studying on, about the fear of man. If you are study, struggling with the fear of man, as we all do to some degree, um, and it's a sin that is besetting you, uh, biblical word there, sin that you're really struggling with, how do you grow and change from that? How do you conquer that sin? And that's what we want to go uh, through today, to give you some practical tools that you can apply on a day-to-day basis. Turn with me in your Bible to First John Chapter 4. It would be nice, uh, I think, if we could just say, well, we've studied for seven weeks this series. This is the seventh week. And we see that God is bigger than people, so if we would just fear Him and stop fearing everybody else, we'll be good. But it it doesn't come quite as easily as that. In fact, uh, sometimes discouragement can set in. You sit there and think, well, I just heard seven weeks of this, and I seem to be no better for it. I really haven't, I'm still struggling with this. Or I've read this book, or whatever the sin may be. Uh, I've heard this sermon, I've listened, I've talked to this person, but uh, nothing seems to be changing. And this is where the the walking out of sanctification and seeking the Lord and hammering away at it come into play. You can't just sit here and hear it. You've got to take it home and actually incorporate it into your life. We're looking at 1 John 4, and let's start with verse 7, and we're going to go through... Um, Verse 3 of chapter 5. <clears throat> well, we want to, sort of as a recap, as we, we've talked about through the, last, for, through the weeks we've studied this, is that uh, we have to reorient our, our view of people and our view of God. And this 1 John 4, 7 through 5, 3 will help us with that once again, understanding uh, the relationship that we have toward God that's been given to us from God. You won't have a relationship with God unless he gives you one. Follow along with me as I read. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves, loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son to the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. 
And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands. Uh, I think it could be said that to the, the, to the degree that we are fearing others is um, to the degree of how much we understand God's love for us and his people or how much we don't understand for us and his people. Should I just start shouting out here, Chris? Go with me to Ephesians 1. <clears throat> Ephesians 1. Five and six. We have to understand that because of the because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done, we have a reoriented view. Uh, we have a reoriented relationship with God. It was uh, false because of sin, and God brought us back with Him. And now we have to look at that as well uh, horizontally and how we deal with other people. But Ephesians one. Uh, 5 and 6, Paul says, He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. God has brought us into relationship with him. He chose us before the foundation of the world. And as we are we are reoriented to God. If we, if we think, well, I've done something to somehow come to God, then, then I'm going to expect, therefore, that others will, will love me like I, I'm expecting God to love me because I've done something. I deserve this love. So then we go to others and say, well, I've deserved this love. And if they don't, then we begin, begin fearing that we're not getting the love that we so richly deserve. And yet we have a proper understanding of salvation. We understand that God saved us. We did not choose him. He chose us, then we begin to just, that just flows to other people. Automatically pouring out that love to others as Christ poured out his love for us. Ed Welch says this, God fills us. He pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. God actually showers us with himself. There is a precondition to this blessing. It is not available to us when we adopt the shape of a cup of psychological needs. That is, if we want to be filled so that we can feel happy and better about ourselves, then we will never be, able, we will never be truly deluged with God's love. The cup of our own desires is never able to catch the flood of God's love and blessing. When this cup of I once is broken, it leaves us with a number of shapes or identities that God has given us. Priests, ambassadors, children of God, and Christians. 
We think it's safer and more effective to look to other people to relieve our emptiness. The love that we desire, however, can only be found in the living God. So we have a, we have a reorientation with God that gives us the ability to love others. Because as we're gonna, what we're going to get to very clearly here, quickly, is if we are struggling with fear, the opposite of that, how you grow and change, is, is to begin loving the person that you are fearing. So we've been called to, according to 1 John 4, 7, let's go back over there, to love others as God loved us. God uh, reoriented our relationship with him by loving us first. Now we are called to love others. I thought this quote was excellent um, by the, uh, the author of this material from Capitol Hill's Baptist. Other people were not created to be feared. They were created for us to show love towards. And you see that very clearly in 1 John 4. And for, and for five as well. Other people were not created to be feared. They were created for us to show love towards. Now, we are called to love others, and loving others is, is a difficult thing. And we must come with a biblical definition of love because uh, our sinful hearts can oftentimes take what we term as love and sacrifice and twist it um, in order to, for us to get and gain from it, which is actually fear. I'm going to manipulate this because I'm not going to get what I want. So I'm going to manipulate it by loving them. And we have to be very careful. So we have to go to it with a biblical, really a biblical definition of love. Listen to this quote. However, I want to say that as we think about loving others, this is not necessarily the same thing as being nice to others, sacrificing for others, or saying yes to others. In fact, sometimes niceness, sacrifice, saying yes can be the clothing that our fear of man hides in. Sometimes loving others means doing things that they will not immediately perceive as nice. Loving others will mean saying no. Loving others will, not, will certainly involve sacrifice, but as seen in 1 Corinthians 13, sacrifice alone does not necessarily equal love and is not necessarily fueled by love. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. As we begin to love others, then we should have our love take shape in the form of Scripture. And here's 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to just flow through this. I'm not going to read it. But uh, notice as you kind of walk down, love is, verse 4, love is patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, does not, rejo- does not delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It never fails. It never fails. That would be the, the biblical definition of love and what we should be striving to do when we are loving others. We're also called, obviously, in Luke 6, uh, 27 through 33, to love our enemies. We're called to love our neighbors. We're called to love all those that are around us. So there's no one individual or a certain group of individuals that we could take and put in a box and say, well, you're not, you know, you're my enemy, so I don't have to love you. No, we're actually called to, to love all those around us because that gets the vertical relationship with God down to a horizontal labor, uh, level where others are able to see and come to the Lord. Look at your hand out there. 
Love versus fear. This would be the, um, the box you have there to fill out. Love focuses on God and others. Love focuses on God and others. That's why we see in Matthew that we're supposed to love God first and then we're able to love others. Um, we can twist that and say, well, I'm going to love others first. But that's actually, if we don't love God first, is, is fear. The fear side of things would be the focus on me. What can I get out of this? I'm more important. How do I feel? How's my self-esteem? How's my self-confidence? How's me? Love is self-giving. When we're loving others, this is not going to be something easy. In fact, it requires a lot of sacrifice. It is going to be painful. Uh, and you're, you're required, because of Christ's example for you, to, to put out a ton and actually probably be injured because of your love. And so and rather than going into this protective shell and saying, well, I'm not going to love this other person because they just keep hurting me with, with what they're saying to me or how they're treating me, and I'm beginning to fear that, so I'm going to pull back and not love them at all. No, uh, the Christ-like example is to love them. And uh, you will be hurt, but it is self-giving, whereas fear would be self-protecting. Love would ask the question of what can I do for God or others? Fear would ask the question or what are God and others going to do for me? What can I do for God or others? What are God and others going to do for me? We have to be careful with the fear side of things because we can oftentimes pray, God, you know, what, what are you going to do for me? What, how, why am I going to be blessed? When am I going to be blessed? Rather than, what can I do for you? Love focuses on today's tasks. Not worried about tomorrow. Focus uh, with the, the fear, focuses or worries on the unknowns of tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Focus on today's task, labors of love. All you have is the day where to take uh, wise use of the time that we have. The days are evil. Love leads to greater joy, peace, and satisfaction with greater love and devotion to labors of love. Fear, fearful thoughts generate more fear. You ever notice the snowball? You sort of think, oh, this is going to be tough. I'm going in the situation, I'm going to see this person that I'm having a difficulty with, and next thing you know, just a little bit of, ooh, worry leads to, oh, this and that, and now the whole world's against me, and it just starts snowballing. Love moves toward God and others with openness and honesty. Fear shrinks away out of fear, hiding and covering up. We talked about that earlier on, that is the fear of rejection, things of that nature, we want to pull in rather than being open and transparent. Uh, with discretion, obviously. Love is stronger because it casts out fear, which we saw in First in First John five, whereas or First John four, whereas fear is weaker. Fear is weaker. What is the best thing to do if you are afraid? Did everyone get this? That need like. Going fast. Okay, I'm going to start at the very beginning. I want you to write this down. Focus on God and others. Focus on me. Self-giving. Self-protecting. What can I do for God or others? 
What are God and others going to do for me? Focus on today's tasks, labors of love. Focus worry on the unknowns of tomorrow. Give you a few seconds there. Okay. What is the best thing to do if you're afraid? You have that on your handout there as well. <clears throat> well, we see in Scripture, uh, Psalm 56, 3 and 11. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In verse 11, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Mark five thirty five through 36, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. While tr- why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Well, we're required to change our mind about how we're thinking through these things. So if we're uh, fearing, if we're afraid of things, then we go to the scripture and we believe on what Christ has told us. And you, you take uh, practically Psalm 56, 3 and 11, or Mark 5, 35 and 36, or other scriptures. Go to your concordance. Go to blueletterstudybible.com or anything like that. Type in fear or afraid, and the verses that come up, find the ones that are most meaningful to you, and you memorize them. So that as uh, these thoughts come into play, you're washing your mind with the truth. And renewing your mind rather than just letting yourself go on down the fear track. Where did fear begin and what caused it? Well, this is a hearkening back to uh, the beginning of this study. We saw that in Genesis 3, 9, and 10, fear uh, began uh, before when, when we were created. <clears throat> but it began with fear of God. And then sin corrupted it and then came fear of man. But the Lord, it was a proper fear of God. It didn't have the fear of God that uh, feared his judgment. Now we do. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. What is the origin of fear, and how can you overcome it? <clears throat> well, there's uh, three verses you can memorize. Romans 8.15, for, for ye, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. This is not of your nature anymore. You're a new creature created in Christ. All things, behold, all thing, old, all the old stuff has passed away. The new has come. Second Timothy 1, 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Renewing your mind. Hebrews thirteen six, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do to me. Origin of fear is from, uh, it came from sin, but now in Christ, uh, those fearful thoughts are from the enemy. They are definitely from the enemy, and you can overcome them through Christ. Okay, I've got three stories here. These are not, I've not thought of I don't have any names of any of the people in our church. So if this one rings true to you, um, I wasn't thinking of your name. In fact, I sat there and thought a lot of names until I figured out some that were not in our church. <laughs> I don't think we have a Frank or a Billy. Frank had always been good friends with Billy. They've gone to the same church for years and are involved in much of the same weekly activities. One month ago at a local volleyball game, basketball game, ultimate frisbee game, foosball game, insert, the competition got more heated than usual. Frank and Billy were on the same team, and Billy, with the competition riding high, got upset with Frank over an error by Billy. How could you have missed, not gotten that shot? Now we're probably going to lose this game. Thanks a lot. Frank has forgiven Billy and knows the behavior was not normal for the relationship. 
However, since that game, due to sickness in the family, vacation, etc., Frank and Billy haven't seen each other at church. Knowing he will be there this Sunday, Frank begins to struggle with fear. Now, ever had anything like this happen? Well, I think I've been on the Frank side, uh, the Billy side at least once. So that, this happens. And you could twist it around to what applies to you. Story, story number two, no Sally's or Amber's, right? Good. <laughs> Sally has just left the grocery store where she had a lengthy conversation with Amber. Amber is a new Christian as of the last year, but the two of them have known each other for years. They don't go to the same church, but Amber has been repeatedly bringing up the fact that she doesn't like that Sally's family is home educated. She feels this is legalistic. What? Oh, okay. She, she feels that this is legalistic and is not afraid to tell Sally, in a loving tone, of course, of her thoughts on the matter. Sally has sought to be patient with Amber and explain each time why, why Sally's family has chosen the home education route for their family. But this last conversation in the grocery store has just been too much for Sally to handle. She is deeply hurt that Amber would treat her this way and is really struggling, struggling to forgive her for the 490th time. Fear begins to set in knowing that she will see Amber soon and will need to talk through the hurt with her. <clears throat> Story number three. Charles and Amy have had a good marriage. They just celebrated 15 years. Amy works part-time at a local law office. During her lunch break, she often browses the internet to pass the time. Lately, she has reconnected to a few old friends through social media. Not thinking anything of it, she begins corresponding with an old lab partner from 10th grade science. He has changed a lot from the quirky days of old, and after a few days, she realizes with horror that she has begun to look forward to their correspondence. She dearly loves and is devoted to Charles and wants desperately to tell him about the situation. Evening after evening goes by with the weight and pressure mounting to tell him. Charles even begins noticing a change in her demeanor and asks, is everything okay at work? She fears how he will respond. Okay. Question for us, flip your pages, is what, if this is you, what do you do? If you know of someone in this situation, how do you counsel them? How do you encourage them? How do you help them walk through this? Before we can get into what you're going to do with fear, sin is a nasty little mess, and so it's going to have a combination of a bunch of things. In at least two of these stories, um, there is hurt involved. Let's see if I've got this on screen here. Yes, how to deal with hurt. Well, um, I would refer you completely back to Lou Priola's message on, on uh, bitterness, because he had some really great stuff on this. Uh, but one of the questions that came after the service that Lou, uh, that Lou was presented in is, well, you've got two tracks you can go. Uh, when you're dealing with hurt, and how do you know which track to go down? Well, I think there's at least three. Uh, there are three very clear tracks you can go down in Scripture when you're dealing with hurt. Uh, there may be more, but these are probably by far the most three common. We could mix, mix it up even more, but let's follow this through. So the first one is you have some hurt. And uh, let's just take um, Sally and Amber, for instance. Sally's hurt. Amber said some things that were not kind, um, and she's hurt. Or actually, let's let's use the first story with the first one here. Uh, we have Frank and uh, Billy, and so uh, Billy uh, obviously has been hurt by some things that Frank said, and so he's got something he's got to deal with. Now, is hurt real? Say yes. Yes, it is. And if you think, well, that's just some made-up term, no, go to Scripture. Hurt is very real, and it's a biblical term. So, hurt has come into play. What should he do? Well. One route is he forgives the person. Matthew eighteen twenty one through 22. 
Anybody know what that says? Bonus points. Okay, I'll read it. Yeah, here we go. Brother that's offended you. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, 70 times seven. Jesus said to him, as many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So it's a requirement that uh, in all of hurt that you're going to forgive. The question is, when does it come into play? So forgiveness has just happened. Uh, uh, Billy, or the person has forgiven the person who's hurt them. And then what's the, what's the first route that, could, that should and could be followed? There's two routes to go. What's the first one? Love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4, 8. And we see that in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13 as well. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is typically in our day-to-day life probably what's going to happen. You're just going to cover it with my love. You know, that was not of Frank's nature to say something like that in the heat of competition. I forgive him. And just cover it over. Route number two. You have some hurt. Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, can be slightly tweaked here. One of the questions that you've got to ask is, these are the two tracks, go and tell him, or covering, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. How do you know which track to go down? correspondence here we can talk through this how do you know which track to go down or not to go down but it could be by the level of hurt could be by your d- maturity could be by your ability to handle it which is basically what y'all are saying right i this hurt is so much and i am trying desperately to forgive him and cover this and i'm just unable to do it you got to go down track number two Man, the guy just said something I didn't like at the volleyball game. No big deal. I understand. I've done it a million times. We're good. That's first track. Second one, man, he's done that again and again and again. This is really starting to wear on me. I can't handle this. You go track number two. Yeah, bitterness is starting to set in. And then the question comes is, well, how do, you, how do I know if I'm really on, if I need to go two or one? Go talk to a godly brother or sister in Christ and say, or go talk to an elder and say, look, this is what the situation is. You got to go with the spirit of humility because you're not going to go with this. You don't want to go with the spirit of gossip that says, can you believe such and such did this to me? What do you think I should do? No, it's, and this is what's happened. I'm trying to do this. Do you think I need to go to him? Yes, I think you need to go to him. Okay. So you go track number two. Interestingly enough, we've not mentioned one thing, which is love cover love covers a multitude of fill in the blank. Sin. Right. We're always dealing with sin in these things. Hurt, forgiveness. Go tell him. Because what scripture is not saying is that you don't address sin. There is times you do address sin. Let's say it's with the Amber and Sally one. 
Well, uh, sh- uh, Sally might forgive Amber 490 times but and, and might do just fine with her forgiveness and having no trouble with it. But at the 40th, 490th time, she's sitting there going, you know, this is really not bothering me. I understand, blah, 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 whatever the situation is. But this seems to be something that they're continually struggling with. And this might be a blind spot. And so in love and humility and making sure that you truly have forgiven them, you go tell them, hey, this is sin I'm seeing this in your life. Can we talk about this? I'm okay. The whole works. But um, we're dealing with sin. And so we don't just brush it away and say, well, you know, that's just a little idiosyncrasy. Or that. No, no, no. You do pray for them. And you do seek in time, if necessary, if it's just not just a passing thing, to go the number three route and encourage them to repent of their sin. Okay. So we had our three examples. And uh, we've dealt with our hurt. Because we know that mixes in with the fear. But now all three of those examples, uh, either it's going to the husband or the wife or it's going to see a friend or coming to church and seeing another friend. The hurt's been dealt with in one of these three ways. <clears throat> but now you got the fear. Now what do you do with the fear? Well, let me, let me put this in quickly. Where does the fear come in? I gave you the first one. The fear on the, and the first one, which would be um, Frank and Billy, the fear comes in at the end. Right? It always comes in when you associate with the individual that you had the hurt with. So there's the hurt, the forgiveness, the covered by love. But now he's going to see him at church. He hasn't seen him in a month. Boom, fear comes in. This one, um, he got the hurt and can't seem to quite get the forgiveness yet. So he's going to have to go tell him or working on the forgiveness, but can't quite get through the hurt. The hurt's developing into potential bitterness. So he's going to go tell him. And the fear comes in with the knowing that I'm going to have to go confront this person. And then uh, the, the third one would be, again, when you're going to confront him. Got the hurt, completely forgiven him, no problem, but I want to encourage him. Well, there could be some fear that comes into play there. How do you deal with that fear? That's what we're going to look at now. How to conquer and be unafraid. Now, <clears throat> I, want, I, I would encourage you to make this in, intensely practical. In that here are seven things that I would encourage you to do. If you are struggling with this, you are not going to get any freedom by just looking at this screen and walking away. You need to write these things down. You need to put them on a three-by-five card. You need to insert them in your pocket. You need to memorize the verses. You need to take 1 Corinthians 13, and you need to think, okay, this is the person I'm struggling with fear with. How can I show love to them according to 1 Corinthians 13? Give yourself three action items. Go do them. Get an accountability I mean, there's lists after lists after lists I can give you to do. But you need to be um, very preemptive in taking control of these things and, and using these tools. Number one, recognize the origin. We've already talked about that a little bit. But here I am. Um, I'm Billy. I'm going to have to go. I'm going to see Frank. I'm beginning to fear. This could be kind of nasty. What am I going to do? I've got to stop immediately and renew my mind and think, where is this coming from? This is this from the spirit of the devil. This is from the enemy who wants to divide this relationship, who wants to bring disunity rather than unity. This is, this is not of God. What does scripture tell me? I'm going to go to Romans 8.15 and I'm going to quote that verse to myself. Or 2 Timothy 1.7. Or I'm going <clears> to <throat> go to any other scripture verses that are encouraging me to this area, in, in this area. And I'm going to recognize that the spirit of truth in this and the fact that... Um, Look, this is a brother in Christ, and we have a much bigger relationship than 
the volleyball match or whatever else it would be. Number two, I'm going to renounce the fearful thought in Jesus' name. Let me read this passage to you as you write that down. Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. Uh, you could insert, we ins- destroy lies, we destroy deceit from the enemy, every lofty uh, false truth raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obedience to Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So I'm going to claim the truth. Say, look, this is not of Christ. I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to think about these things. Here is what I'm going to think about. Here is Scripture. Three, I'm going to review the promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Well, what are the promises? Well, you could insert any number of promises here. Uh, he will never leave me nor forsake me. So I know when I go and talk to this person or see them, it's going to be tough, but I know he's going to be right there with me. Um, insert any other promises there. But this is where you're going to claim what you know uh, you're going to just be quoting these things as you're going, going in. And the goal here, at least in these first three and all, really all seven of these, is you are trying uh, th- you are trying, and you will succeed according to Scripture just to wash your mind with so much truth that all the false lies and the, and the fear are just swept on out because that's what's dominating your thoughts is these, these things. You're going to rejoice in the love of God. Maybe you sing a song. Uh, maybe you're quoting these verses. Uh, maybe you remember that God loved us, so we love others, according to 1 John 4, which you see there. Um, you're going to remember that God's love is uh, one that calls us to be self-sacrificing, self-giving, as we saw in, in 1 Corinthians 13. That God was, Christ in his love took punishment and said, this might be a little, little difficult to go to the situation, but hey, this is, this is a great opportunity for me to share in the sufferings of Christ. So I'm rejoicing in the love of God. Revive your efforts to show love to others. I've also got number six already in there too. Revive your efforts to show love to others. John 13, 34 to 35. Go home and look these up. John 15, 12 to 13. Romans 12, 10. 1 John 4, 11. So fear is going to again say don't love others, but you're going to have to remind yourself of these things. So be ready to go. Recognize the origin. Renounce the fearful thought in Christ's name. Review the promises. Rejoice in the love of God. Revive your efforts to show love to others. And apparently number six is so important that I put in there twice. Relax in God's guarantee. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28, 29. The, the kicker being that Christ uses, God uses all those things to conform us to the image of Christ. That is why it is uh, good for us is because it's conforming us for God's glory. Luke 1, 
74 and 75. That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Encompassing all of it, renew your thought life. Romans 12, 2. Renew your mind, Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Ephesians 4, renewing your thought life. Now, these could certainly be re-scrambled and shifted in their, in their order. Um, but this, this is uh, what you would do. This is, how you, this is how you would go about it if you're struggling with fear. If, if you've got to go uh, confess sin and you're fearing how they're going to respond... Um, Charles and Amy. Or you've got to go uh, address a friend who is being unkind and has done it for the 490th time. Or you've got um, a situation where you know there was a little tension there and you're not quite sure if it's still there and you're beginning to have... Insert any number. Uh, put in your own mind. Think about in your own mind that person that if you are struggling with fear, the person that you're struggling with or the situation you're struggling with, this is what you go do. This is how you take scripture and you apply it and the, the thought immediately is, well, you know, I don't need all those scripture verses. I don't need this stuff. You know, I can just kind of, if I just trust Jesus. Yes, I, the foundation of it all is to trust and believe. We saw that in Mark 5, 35 and 36. To trust him above all else. When I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. But there are very practical steps that can be taken and in order to help you um, in that trust factor because when you're in the middle of the the battle when you're in the middle of the temptation the last thing you're thinking is trust jesus trust jesus trust jesus you're just thinking man this is really hard and i don't want to go see this person and the fear is what's dominating and you've got to uh, renew your mind in order for you to be able to trust jesus those two go hand in hand okay closing here any um any any thoughts, questions, comments? Yeah. Yeah, forgiveness takes time. Uh, trust rebuilding takes time. I was going to mention that when you're loving your enemies, or and, and that enemy might be, it may not be, you know, somebody overseas shooting at you. It could just be someone who has continually uh, hurt you. It could just be a person that's hurt you repeatedly. That uh, forgiveness... And not fearing them um, may come pretty quickly. But trust uh, and relationship building and all those things, those take a lot. That can take a long time. Is it not going to affect how you go through this process uh, depending on your relationship with this person? How well or how, you know, how well you know them? Yeah, I mean, this how to conquer fear and be unafraid is is all going on inside your heart and mind. Um, um, but how it goes with if you have to confront them, especially, or um, if you have to, because, because you, you're developing some bitterness, uh, according to Matthew 18, or, um, and having to go to them, or you're, even, you're not developing bitterness and have to go to them, and you want to go to them and just address their sin because it's habitual, out of love, um, yeah, you, you're going to have to make sure you have a strong relationship. And even if you don't and you end up going, you, you better have these things strapped on pretty tight because it may not go well at all. Okay, let's pray. Close in prayer.
before we before we do prayer, if you're singing in the choir, the choir is going to have a their practice. You can go ahead. And, why don't you just go ahead and slip to the back and stay in the room? We'll all pray together, and then y'all can can slip right on back. So if you're going to choir, just kind of step over by Mr. Welch. We'll all pray together, and then y'all can slip upstairs. Choir of three. Anybody else singing in the choir? Choir of five. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the day you've given us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the truth in scripture. We thank you that uh, you've not left us to our own devices and how to fight these these things. Uh, but we thank you, Father, that the the truth is there and that you modeled it for us uh, by sending your son to die for us, as we saw in 1 John 4. And because of that love for us vertically, you've given us the power and the ability and the tools necessary to take that love and apply it horizontally to those that are around us. And we're commanded to do so. Help us to do it well. And help us, Lord, that in those, in the, if we're fearing people, um, that we would seek to love them rather than fear them, and you would show us how to do that according to Scripture. But then if it's situations that we're fearing, or the future, or even the past manifesting itself again in the future, that we would renew our minds and take the scripture, trusting you and what you've called us, and who you are and what you've called us to do, and the help that you have afforded to us according to scripture, that you will be with us and that you are with us. You're omnipresent. You're omniscient. You're always with us. You're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. Thank you for the day you've provided for us. I ask now for our fellowship to be pleasing to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.